0: <clears throat> nobody, nobody, nobody,
1: nobody.
2: Nobody reads short stories.
3: Hey everyone, I'm Jeremy.
4: And I'm Megan.
3: And you're you, and you're watching Nobody Read Short Stories.
4: Yes, welcome. So this is episode three, season two, we're very excited. Um, So we're continuing with our Eerie series tonight, because Saturday is Halloween. And I am, for those of you who are watching, I'm channeling my inner Freddie Mercury. Um, And so because it is Halloween, we are the tonight's story is going to have some graphic imagery, and it's going to last about 40 minutes. So, here is Station by Joshua Adams, performed by Melanie Thompson and John Zelazny.
2: Station by Joshua Adams Maria pulled off the interstate with her bladder screaming. The station was brightly lit, and she saw several vehicles parked at the pumps, even though it was two in the morning. Normally, she wouldn't stop at a station after dark. A woman traveling alone couldn't afford to take chances but Maria had to pee so badly it had become painful. When the bright, neon, 24-hour gas-and-grub sign had appeared on the horizon, she couldn't resist its pull. She parked in an empty space close to the glass double doors. She didn't see an attendant at the counter, but Maria was pleased to find the station very clean and well-kept. Hopefully, that would mean a more sanitary-than-average restroom. The agonizing urgency to urinate propelled her toward the alcove to the left of the beer coolers at the back of the store, where she saw the word restrooms displayed in neon red. The restroom was spotless, but at this point she wouldn't have cared if it had been crawling with roaches. Her agony gave way to relief as she finally emptied her aching bladder. On the heels of that pleasant release, though, Maria's subconscious began to speak up. She'd been so single-minded in purpose that she'd hardly focused on anything else upon entering the store. Now, as she stood washing her hands, Maria's interior alarms were beginning to ring. She remembered thinking that it was odd no attendant was at the counter when she'd come in, but had there been any customers in the store? Not any she recalled seeing, and that was very odd, because there had been at least seven vehicles parked outside— She'd been in a hurry, of course, but she was a pretty observant person, and she didn't remember seeing anyone standing at the tanks pumping gas. So where were they? Maria looked at her reflection in the mirror above the sink. Dark and curly hair pulled back in a tight bun, skin the color of coffee, hazel eyes. She was attractive, but not in a showy way. She didn't wear much makeup, although at the moment she felt like she could use some. Look at those bags under your eyes, girl, she thought. Maybe all that was to blame for the sudden case of the heebie-jeebies she was feeling. She'd been driving for nine hours straight. She was exhausted. Maria splashed some cold water from the sink onto her face, then dried off with a paper towel. She made up her mind to open the door, walk as calmly as she could to her car, and get back on the road. The exit for the hospital where her dad was having his surgery was only another 35 miles away. Maria's mother had died when she was five— killed in a head-on collision with an 18-wheeler. From that day forward, it had just been Maria and her dad against the world. The 3 years that she'd been at college was the only time in her life that she had been away from him. At first the distance had felt unbearable, but gradually a more independent, confident, even fierce young woman had emerged in Maria that she hadn't even known she could be. Then, around 3:30 yesterday afternoon, She'd gotten the call that her father had suffered a massive heart attack and would be having open-heart surgery. She left immediately, gripped with panic. The whole drive had been a swirling torrent of crying, praying, and trying not to think about what losing him would do to her life. He was all Maria had. She had to get to him. She didn't have time for being scared. Maria shoved aside the queer uneasiness she was feeling, unlocked the bathroom door, and opened it. The station had changed. Where there had been bright lights, now there was just darkness, only partially dispelled by a single fluorescent bulb that dangled precariously from the ceiling. The light was flickering, and the strobe light effect it created made Maria feel queasy. The shelves that had been fully stocked with snacks and travel necessities when she'd entered the station were mostly empty now, and covered with a thick blanket of dust and cobwebs. In fact, spiderwebs covered the entire ceiling and hung like drapes in every corner of the darkened space. Maria's mind reeled at the impossible sight. She turned to retreat back into the restroom, but she saw that the room, too, now looked as though it had been abandoned for decades. Rust, grime, and dust covered every surface. Even the mirror, which she had just been studying her reflection, had become etched with cracks and cloudy with old muck. A wave of nausea swept over her, but Maria fought against the urge to be sick. In a moment, the feeling passed. She retrieved her cell phone from the purse. The battery was fully charged, but there was no signal at all. She turned on the phone's flashlight and carefully made her way into the open room ahead. The station was very quiet, and she still had the sense that she was alone. All the same, she crept down the nearest aisle as quietly as possible. Keeping her head low, Maria slowly made her way to the front of the store. Cautiously peering around a corner of cobweb shrouded magazine rack, she glanced toward the large front windows at the parking lot. The trucks and cars were still there, parked by the pumps and looking for all the world like oddly shaped cows grazing in a field. These vehicles had changed in the same way as the station itself. When she pulled up to the gas and grub, the vehicles had looked ordinary, but now they were faded husks overgrown with clinging vines and spackled with rust. Near the door of the station, she could see her own car, a silver Honda Civic, parked where she left it. Her car seemed unaffected by the changes wrought upon the rest of the place. Out in the lot, a foot or so of grayish mist hovered above the greasy concrete, and the outdoor fluorescence glowed dull, sickly green. All she needed to do was get to her car and drive away from this awful nightmare. She didn't know what happened. Didn't really care. All Maria wanted was to leave. She stood and approached the door, then stopped abruptly. The vehicles weren't empty. If she strained her eyes, Maria could make out the dark silhouettes of drivers lurking behind grungy windshields. The truck at the pump nearest the front window of the store was one of those jacked up monstrosities with huge mud tires that Maria was fond of calling redneck wagons the shadowy head of the form inside turned to face her. Twin pinpoints of fiery orange light glowed from the eye sockets of the dark face and locked onto her. Maria realized that all of the figures in the lot were looking at her now, and all of their eyes were blazing like hot coals. More silhouettes were emerging from the foggy darkness and surrounding the station on all sides. Their iridescent eyes created an unsettling effect of a candlelight vigil. Maria's heart was pounding. She'd never been so scared. She'd gotten all the way to the door before noticing the figures and was standing there frozen, her face inches from the glass. She was so focused on the vehicles and their occupants that she didn't notice the man had stealthily approached the glass from her left side until he slapped his hand against the window and pressed his face to the glass. Maria fell away from the door with a shriek. (laughs) The man at the window was a horror to behold. His clothes hung from his emaciated body in tatters. The man's skin was the color and texture of rotted eggplant, purplish-black and maltled. Where his mouth had once been, there was now just a gaping black hole, ringed with reddened, angry flesh that wept with greenish pus. The man's scalp had split at top of his head and was sagging across his brow. His eye sockets were caverns lit from within. It was as if... His brains were on fire. Maria scooted backwards over the filthy tile floor until her back was pressed against a row of shelves, causing an avalanche of rusty cans that tumbled to the floor around her and rolled away in every direction. Her mind continued to insist that what she was seeing and experiencing couldn't possibly be real. All the while, her eyes and racing heart stubbornly testified that she was indeed living through a nightmare. Other figures—men, women, children— and oddly enough a dog were exiting the vehicles and approaching the front of the station. Each face was as hideous as the next, and each bore the same ravaged mouth and candlelit eyes. They pressed in close to the glass. The dog, it appeared, had once been a golden retriever. Even raised up on its hind legs, rested its front paws against the door frame and flattened its mangled snout against the glass. They all watched her in silence. But none of these things outside made any attempt to enter the station. Maria stood on shaky legs and stumbled to the front counter and then walked behind it. She began searching frantically underneath the counter for a baseball bat, a gun, anything she could use as a weapon, but found nothing. All of the thing's heads turned in unison whenever she crossed to the counter. They followed her every move. She could feel the weight of their collective gaze and began to cry tears of fear and frustration, What did they want? What what were they?
0: Oh, don't mind them, little lady. Don't you mind them one bit.
2: The voice had come from behind her. Maria whirled to find the exit from behind the counter, blocked by a strange-looking man. She hadn't heard him approach, and though she'd been looking at the figures outside the station, Maria felt sure she would have noticed someone sneaking through the store. The man had simply appeared behind her. She couldn't say how she knew it to be true only that it was. A moment ago she'd been alone in the store, and then in an instant she wasn't. The man was shorter than Maria. He looked to be about four and a half feet tall, but his posture was hunched over in a deceptive way. She had the sense that he was actually taller than he appeared. The man was oddly proportioned. He had a fat wedge-like torso, but his legs and arms were incredibly thin by contrast. He wore dark navy pants and a teal polo shirt with an embroidered gas-and-grub logo affixed to the right side of his chest. Beneath the logo was a pinned-on name tag that read, "Pock, Eckerkop. His clothing was as filthy as everything else in the station. The man had a head that seemed too large for his body. His complexion was very pallid, and not just because of the harsh light from her iPhone. His skin was pale as porcelain and was nearly translucent. Maria could just barely see faint, bluish-gray blood vessels through the surface of the man's skin. His eyes were bulging, unblinking, and wrong in some way. After a moment, Maria realized why. The man's eyes were not reflective or shiny at all. They seemed more like eyes fashioned from clay. His head was mostly bald on top, "'but a ring of greasy black hair hung from his scalp and draped his shoulders. "'There was something altogether off about the man's proportions that Maria couldn't identify. "'But she found him immediately repulsive. "'He was just... put together wrong. "'A thick stench surrounded the man like an aura. "'A pungent roadkill aroma. "'Being near him made her feel sick. "'Maria was about to leap the counter when she suddenly felt agonizing pain explode in her right calf.' She glanced down and saw an enormous spider attached to her leg. Its abdomen alone was roughly the size of Maria's Jack Russell terrier. Its mandibles released her leg and twin spurts of blood jetted out after the fangs. In seconds, the entire leg was numb and useless. In fact, her whole body felt paralyzed to some degree. She could move, but only very sluggishly and with great effort. I'm going to die, she thought. The man came closer. His face only inches from her now, and stroked her cheek gently with one clammy, pale finger.
0: There, there, child. Now don't go thinking about dying just yet. Old Puck just wants to talk to you, all. I'm not gonna hurt you, no ma'am.
2: Not just yet. Puck gripped her shoulders and lifted her from the ground easily, then carried her back to the center of the store. Two more of the massive spiders came out from the back of the store, carrying chairs on their hairy backs, and deposited them in front of a faded cardboard Pepsi display. As Pock lowered Maria into one of the chairs, her face came closer to his chest, and she saw the fabric of his shirt move as though something beneath the shirt had pressed against it and then readjusted. He had placed her in the chair, facing the awful fiery-eyed audience, And then Pauk had lowered himself gently into the chair facing her and sat now with his hands folded in his lap.
0: I've been a poor host, and I do apologize. I haven't introduced
2: myself. I am Pauk Etterkop,
0: and I'm pleased to welcome you to my station here.
2: He grinned at her expectantly and continued to stare at her with his dull, unblinking eyes.
0: Now, Maria, how are you and I supposed to have any sort of conversation? when you won't speak up i can look inside that juicy noggin of yours if i must but it isn't fair to make old puck do all the
2: work maria's lips were slow to form words but she was able to ask what what are you what are you gonna do to me puck didn't answer for a moment just sat across from her like a statue maria could feel him rummaging around her inside her mind it was a violation akin to coming home to find a stranger pillaging her bedroom drawers. Her chair leaned backwards for a moment, and she felt the weight of one of the fat arachnids as it crawled up the back and across her shoulder. Its fat abdomen brushed Maria's cheek as the spider crawled down her chest and settled in her lap. She wanted so badly to shove the awful creature away, but she couldn't move. The effects of the venom were incredibly potent and fast-moving. She was utterly paralyzed— the bite on her leg throbs dully, and she felt heat radiating out from the wound. She didn't feel as though she was losing consciousness, though. That was a good thing. If she was going to have any chance of surviving this encounter, she would need to be able to think clearly. Pox shook his overlarge head briskly.
0: No, no, there you go again. You thinking too much about getting away from here when we've just started to get close. Now you ask me what I intend to do with you. Well, my dear, that is really up to you. Now all those folks you saw out there in the yard, they had that same choice that I'm going to offer you tonight. Mm
2: -hmm. Pock leaned a bit closer.
0: They had a thing that I wanted, just like you have. And in the end, they all begged me to take it from them. Young and old alike, all told me they wanted me to have this thing. And in return, I'd give them what they wanted as well.
2: He laughed then. It was a strange sound, devoid of mirth or joy. It sounded like a parrot attempting to mimic the laugh of its owner.
0: Now, even that dog, in its own way, made the choice to give me what I wanted. Its simple mind was very easy to see into, and much easier than yours. But then again, old
2: Puck has always been a strong reader. The last bit, he said with a smug grin, while making a hearty thumbs-up gesture with both hands. Maria swallowed and whispered, What is it you want from me?
0: Well, it's not much, just, uh, well, it's gonna sound funny, I suppose, but it's your juice. It's your delicious essence that I want. I wanna drink you dry, dear, every last drop of you. If you think about it, it really is a sweet thing to be wanted so badly.
2: You wanna kill me? Why would I ask you to do that? What do I have to gain from letting you murder me? Maria felt some of the effects of the venom began to fade, she thought she could stand, maybe walk if she tried. She had to keep him talking, give her body more time to fight off the paralysis. She also knew that she didn't want her own thoughts to betray her. She began thinking of her father, her poor father, in surgery right now. She wanted so badly to be by his side. She wanted to see him again.
0: Yeah, well, he's dead, you know.
2: Pock looked at her with an expression of his face of cartoonish, feigned sorrow.
0: He died on the operating table before you even pulled into my station, dear. He died with his chest opened up like a book. And you don't want to know what his last thought was before the Anastasia knocked him out. He thought about you, dear. His little girl so very far away at school. And You know what that old stinker said to himself? His last thought on this earth. And he said to himself, I bet Maria will fuss at me for not sticking to that diet plan she gave me.
2: You're lying. He's not dead. The hospital would have called. If there was trouble, they they said they...
0: Oh, no, no, They, they tried calling you a number of times, but you've been inside my perimeter for quite a few miles by that time, dear, and I'm afraid we don't get very good reception around these parts.
2: For the first time, Pac didn't just look inside Maria's head. He deposited an image there. He showed Maria the face of her father in the moment just after life had slipped away from him. She wanted to believe that Pock was lying to her, but her heart knew different. Her father was gone. Tears flowed from her eyes and dripped off her chin, splashing onto the bloated arachnid in her lap. Disturbed by the teardrops, the spider scuttled down Maria's leg to the floor. Pock stood.
0: Well, here's my offer, dear. You let me drink you, and I will empty you all that you are. You'll be like one of those outside just a husk filled with a tiny bit of my life, which is infinite. You will be everlasting. And in return, the part that I take from you, once I've taken what is sweet to me, I will release into the beyond. You will join your father on the other side. It will not hurt, no ma'am, not one bit. Not if you say yes to my offer. Not if you give yourself to me freely.
2: If I reject your offer, what then? Pock's face contorted into a hideous pantomime of sadness.
0: Yeah, well, I'd have to hurt you, dear. Yeah, I'd have to hurt you very badly.
2: Maria wasn't sure until she leapt from her chair whether she'd actually be able to move. As she stood, the spider on her lap fell to the floor. Maria kicked it away from her as hard as she could. She grabbed the chair she'd been sitting in and swung it at Pock's head. He fell heavily onto his back and began convulsing wildly. His shirt burst open in a flurry of dark, hairy appendages. Pock's body flipped over and Maria realized something horrible. He wasn't a man at all. His oversized head was actually the swollen abdomen of a spider. The pallid face with its false eyes protruded from the bottom of the spider and the mouth was still speaking. Oh
1: dear, you made a bad choice!
2: The spider's true face was revealed as it shook away the last of the clothes it had worn as a disguise. Pock's many eyes glowed with the same light that shone in the skulls of the walking corpses outside the station. Each of its eight legs terminated in very pale, human hands. The spider bounded across the room quicker than Maria's eye could follow, closing the distance between them in seconds. She whirled and found herself staring at the pair of eyes that never blinked. The mouth of the false face opened and the stream of thick, gummy webbing squirted from its lips. She raised her hand reflexively to protect her face. The webbing plastered her arm to her chest and held like dried cement. Out of the corner of her eye, Maria saw a dark shape in motion. The spider she quicked was quickly charging at her from the front of the store, and another was perched on the shelves behind her, about to pounce. With her free hand, she roundhouse punched Pock. Her timing was accidentally fortunate, as the blow caused the next stream of webbing to miss her and connect with a leaping spider on the shelves, leaving it immobilized. Maria ran to the front doors. Pot crawled up the wall and across the ceiling, matching her step for step. He shot another blast of webs at her that stuck her foot to the floor. Her upper body fell forward and her face slammed into the tile floor, breaking her nose with a wet smack. The pain was immediate and enormous, but also had the effect of honing her focus. The web was attached to her shoe and the leg of her jeans. As quickly as she could, Maria kicked off the other shoe and worked to free herself from the jeans as the shoe still stuck to the floor. Pock descended slowly from the ceiling on a rope-thick strand of web. Beneath the spider's head and fanged mandibles, a new orifice parted and a transparent, pinkish tube of flesh inched out. It extended from the spider's head about four feet and ended at a point like a large needle. She understood now why the figures outside had gaping holes where their mouths should be, and why the dog's muzzle was such a ruined mess. If pot caught up to her, that needle was going into her face, and the massive spider was going to drink her dry, just like it had promised. She finally freed herself of the jeans, a difficult task to accomplish with one hand, and scrambled to the door. Her nose was pouring blood down the front of her shirt, and she could feel it swelling, the bite on her calf was beginning to hurt worse as well, slowing her run to a half-limping hobble. She finally reached the doors and didn't risk a look back. She knew Pock was after her. She wouldn't waste precious seconds by pausing to see how close he was to bring her down. She figured she had more to fear from the danger inside of the station than she did from the figures crowded outside. If they were as emptied out as Pock claimed, perhaps they had no will or motivation of their own. Maybe they would let her pass. It was a chance Maria was willing to take. She flung the doors wide open and dove into the mass of leathery flesh. None of the beings attempted to grab her or hold her back, but they didn't move aside easily either. Maria was forced to drop to her knees and crawl between their mummified legs. She could hear Pock's voice screaming at her as the spider tried to force its way into the crowd. You can't escape me! Nobody can! Nobody ever will! She ignored him and concentrated on clearing the multitude of corpses. She didn't stop when she reached her car. Those keys were in her jeans pocket, back on the floor of the station. Suddenly she was out and stumbling to her feet. She did look back now and saw the spider a few yards away, tearing through the dead to get to her. It was ripping them apart with its mandibles. She had only moments before it would reach her. She glanced around frantically, looking for something. Anything that would offer her safety and escape. There was another figure at the station that hadn't been there before. It wasn't dark and grotesque, like the others. In fact, this figure didn't seem fully like the others at all. It was vaporous and transparent. Its eyes weren't lit with the same orange glow as the others. The figure was pointing at one of the trucks parked at a pump nearest the edge of the station. It was a Ford, not as old or rusty as most of the others. The door to the truck hung open. Some intangible thing in Maria's heart told her that she could trust this figure— That was trying to help her, whatever it was. She ran for the truck. As she got closer, she could make out more details of the figure. It was a man, dark skinned and dressed in a hospital gown. His chest was split open as if he had stepped out for a walk in the middle of a surgery. Her heart knew who the figure was even before she saw his familiar face. She looked into the kind, concerned eyes of her father one last time, and then he vanished. As he faded from view, she heard his voice whisper in her ear. I love you, baby girl. I always have. Your mother sent me to keep an eye on you one last time. We'll be waiting for you. Now go live. Tears were streaming down her face as she reached the truck, dragged herself into the cab, and slammed the door shut behind her. The ache of her heart was worse than any pain in her body, but she couldn't dwell on that yet. There would be time to process that loss later. The truck's keys were still in the ignition where some unfortunate soul had left them. The owner had stumbled into this trap just like she had, but they hadn't survived their encounter with Pock Eckerkop. She turned the key. The engine sputtered, but the truck didn't start. Webbs hit the side of the truck with a loud smack. The spider had reached her and was attempting to trap her in the truck. She turned the key again, and this time was rewarded with a rumble under the hood as the engine roared to life. The dash displays glowed dimly back into wakefulness, and Maria threw the truck into drive and slammed her foot on the gas pedal. For a few seconds, the truck struggled to break free of the webs, then lunged forward. Maria steered away from the truck towards the on-ramp for the interstate. In the rearview mirror, she saw the station as it truly was, a dilapidated urban ruin at the center of an enormous spider's web. She reached the highway and pulled onto it, tires squealing, She glanced one last time at the rearview mirror. Gone now was the web. In its place, she saw the bright neon gas and grub sign rising above a well-lit and welcoming station. "'Just an illusion,' she said. Maria sighed deeply and allowed herself to feel relief. On the heels of that feeling came thoughts of her father. She wept as she drove, crying harder than she had since she was a child. Feeling his loss more deeply than the pain of all her physical wounds. She was so absorbed with her mourning that she didn't even hear the scratching of hairy legs in the bed of the truck as a spider the size of a small dog crawled over the tailgate and settled out of sight below the back window. A spider with a small, pale spot on the bottom of its abdomen, roughly the shape of a human face. The... You
3: too. All right. Wow. Man, you both killed it. Melanie, that was a great read. I love your voice. John, you milked every moment of that. You were a great spider. Creepy, I creepy.
4: Yes, John's amazing. John brings it every
0: time.
3: So John, you have some things that you want people to know about you.
0: Uh, Yes, my latest short story is called Radio Such, and it's in this, where do where I get this in here? In- <laughs> Switchblade number 12. Switchblade is one of the great uh, New Pulp magazine anthology series. There are guys out there who are doing their best to keep the hard-boiled tradition alive. Uh, this is a great series, and I'm very proud to be back in it. You can find it on Amazon or any of those outlets. Uh, Switchblade number 12. You can buy a copy for $8 or Kindle download for $3. So Thanks so much for having me, guys. It was terrific being here
3: thank you john
4: thank you john thank and, you so much
3: y'all, john is a great 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 writer like we know him from writers group we, his writing solid we're actually going to have him on this season too and we'll plug the story again because he's he's somebody you want to check out
4: yes john is a is a person of many traits he's a wonderful actor and he's a he's a wonderful writer so we're we're excited that he's graced us with his acting skills. And also later in the season, we will get to read his story.
3: And then let's plug Melanie too. So
4: um, Melanie Thompson is is wonderful. We, you will see her again on the show totally. forward. Hopefully um, you can find her at melaniethompson.net. She is a, an actor, a model, a writer, and a filmmaker. So uh, please check out all of her her wonderful things on her website and. Um,
3: She's so good. You want to you want to yes, check she that is. out. So, guys, I don't know what you were thinking when you uh, listened to the short story. What you were actually seeing visually. So think back on that for a second, because I'm about to show you something.
4: Uh oh, what are you gonna do? All right. <gasps> this, I'm
3: Joshua. I'm also a super talented artist. This is what he had envisioned for the piece. Look how great yeah, so it is. For
4: those of you who are listening to the to the podcast, uh Joshua is a wonderful artist and he's he Jeremy's holding up a picture of these these horrifically and wonderfully scary zombies that have the big hole in their mouth where the spider would would stick its thing into them and like suck their soul out. And then now we're also holding up
3: this is it's the spider dude.
4: The spider dude, um, Polk, who, who has like the the hair on his the few hair on oh, his head, and then on the on inside legs. you can see his mandibles and you can see his his body parts. It's really, it's really quite quite creepy, and I think really captures the tone. Very of, talented of this story. So I I would suggest to Joshua that he needs to do this as a as a graphic novel. I mean, I it there, right?
3: We tripped up, we didn't, we didn't put our timer, so we're gonna just maybe. Oh my
4: gosh. <laughs>
3: do, do a minute on our timer, let's do two minutes. Let's just do All two right.
4: minutes. All right, um, we just like totally didn't crank cranky. Poor cranky's over here like, guys, you
1: know, what's going on?
3: So um, let's talk about the story, Megan. Um, My favorite line in the whole piece, and John kills this line too, is it really is a sweet thing to be wanted so badly i love <laughs> it i love that line
4: i know and it it that's also one of the lines that stuck out for me when john reads it it's it it's just hits home for me like yeah. the, it's definitely the type of villain that i love like villains yes. who believe that they are right like they they he doesn't believe he's a bad guy right like like he's like, I'm doing you know, you should be happy that I'm gonna kill you because I want you so badly. And doesn't that make you feel good? It's like, oh my god, no, you're a psychopath spider. That doesn't make me feel good at all. And it just makes it that much that much creepier. Oh, yeah. That's so good. Um, I really I'm just gonna make sure that I didn't mess up with, with Frankie again. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I also just really love that scene where she gets out of the station and is crawling through oh. the, the leathery guys like that the imagery of that section is so powerful for me and and her like getting to her car and realizing her keys are in her jeans and you know then seeing her her father's image like all of that is so specific and very brilliant and i see it all and it's it's so it's so alive it's quite
3: clever how he did everything too because it's kind of like a spider web like if you think about it she's going in there not seeing what it really is until she's caught kind of how a fly would be in a spider web like it's one thing until she's actually in the web
4: oh that's a really good point i hadn't thought of it that way but it's it's very true like she's even a minute and a half, and I'm still scared. Oh my gosh. Okay, so um, since we're just talking and rambling about Josh and how great his story is, why don't we bring him on? Joshua, are you there? Hi. Hi, welcome to the show. So before we get started, I just wanna um, brag about you and tell people a little bit about you. So um, our author tonight is Joshua Adams. He is an elementary art school teacher in Johnsonville, South Carolina. In his spare time, he does graphic design and does all those beautiful um, drawings like Jeremy showed you guys. Um, he is an avid reader and it ultimately found himself writing. Many of his short stories can be found under Joshua Adams on medium.com. And I highly recommend that you guys check, him, check them out. He's got some really wonderful little stories in there that are, that are just really great. So if you liked Tonight's story. Make sure you that you check out his other work. So welcome, Josh. Oh, I think you're muted.
1: Yeah, I'm muted. Thanks for having <laughs> me, guys. Thank you so much.
3: We have a we have a ghost, by the way. There's a ghost in Streamyard right now, and it is no.
4: <laughs> is it was a poltergeist, and it's wreaking havoc on um, all of our feeds at the moment. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Do you think it might be Dead Frankie? I'm sorry, what?
3: you think it might be Dead Frankie?
4: It might be Dead Frankie. Yeah. He he does like playing practical jokes. Um for those of you who don't know, um I am currently roommates with a skeleton named Frankie. And he has um his own Instagram, which is at new adventures of dead Frankie. If you guys are interested, and he likes to play practical jokes. So I think, yeah, I think this is this has Frankie written all over it. That's
3: so, it. So Joshua, what was the inspiration for this
1: piece? Well, I remember I had the idea about, you know, there's certain insects and moths and things that have a false set of eyes on their wings, or it oh. may look like a predator or look less. Like, I thought, well, what if there was a spider that could pretend to be a person that, you know, it's just that that was the initial thought. And I said, would that even work? And I drew that, that sketch of like, would it even, Pass as a human, if it was all, you know. And, and I thought, yeah, actually, that could, that might, could pass for a human long enough to get somebody within the web, like you pointed out. And so that was kind of the initial inspiration for it.
3: You know and- it's interesting that you say that. There was a, there was a, a movie in the '90s, I think, where there's this creepy insect that lives uh, below ground. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah, uh, mimic. I think mimic. Is- yes. Yeah, yeah
3: one of the scariest movies because it was an insect that like pretended to be a human, but something about that is so creepy. And I guess it's a racket. It's not an insect, yeah, yeah. but it's a bug kind of be a person.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think my other, my other inspiration too. And I love John Carpenter's, the thing It's probably was one of my all time favorite movies. And I remember the first time that I saw the defibrillator scene and everything just, out of nowhere, the mouth and it's open and it just, the visceral reaction to that transformation. I wanted to have a moment where we realize that this person is not really a person and it's shocking. So I started there and then just built a story that would get me to that scene.
3: I love that twist. It's
4: Mm. disturbing. Yeah, and I I really love hearing how writers get, these little nuggets of inspiration. Like I feel like a lot of times we're asked, you know, how do you get your inspiration or where do you get your inspiration? But it's never like, it's never just one thing, you know, you get a, you get sort of a a spark and then, or you find something that, um, like you want, you want to do, you wanted to do something that, that mimicked what you saw in the thing. Like you're really, really, you know, uh, Da, da, da. Use your words, Megan. You were really taken by this whole idea of like something becoming something that that you don't think it is, and uh, right. and and you just ran with it in a way that's very different than the thing. And I and I love I love to hear stories like that with about where writers find their inspiration. That was really cool. Like, what are can, will you tell us some of your your other like horror inspirations or some of your favorite movies or stories oh, that you wow. read?
1: That <laughs> could take a while. <laughs> <laughs> i mean anything horror i'm a huge horror fanatic in books i love stephen king i think like i i love he he was always good at writing these long enormous novels but he could also come down to a really short story and establish characters really quickly that you cared about and establish just this weird scary thing that's happening mm-hmm. and that character having to deal with it and keeping it concise and i thought that was a it's always an interesting challenge. Uh, definitely uh, Stephen King, a lot of uh, of other authors. Uh, I love House of Leaves. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but uh, Matthew, I can't pronounce his last name, Daniel Luski or something like that. It's a, I don't know. Of,
4: I'm not familiar. I'll have to check it out.
1: Oh, it's fantastic. But
3: um, It's funny, uh, Joshua, that you mentioned Stephen King. When me and the other producer, Mark, were reading your story, we thought it could fit it could totally fit into an anthology of Stephen King's work. So,
1: well, I appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> nice compliment.
3: So, are you are you into being scared? Like is there something that really scares you? I'm just curious.
1: Well, I don't like spiders. I actually Okay, okay, that's what I was wondering. Spider. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't like spiders very much. Um and I'm I'm a true crime nut. So I read true crime constantly, and then I read too much of it, and then I don't want to go out and take the trash out because (laughs) you read enough that you get paranoid and like, there's a serial killer outside. I just know it. What was that?
4: So true. I feel like I do that too, where I'm like, I'm doing a, I'm in a situation, and I'm like, this feels like the beginning of a true crime documentary. This is where
1: (laughs) I find the body, and then they find me a month later.
4: Right, right. It's exactly. it's
3: so pungent, it stays with you. Like you feel like you have just killed someone, you know.
1: Really?
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, what was the hardest part for you to write, Joshua, in this piece?
1: The hardest part about this story was I knew I knew going in that this character is a spider. And I wanted to have hints along the way that that he wasn't normal, but how much to put in and how much to hold back. That was the balance because you don't want it to completely come out of nowhere and feel undeserved in the story. But at the same time, you know, you, you've got to lay those, those hints in there really carefully because you don't want to blow the surprise. So, you know, you had that moment where That's the the shirt was kind of shifting on, like she could see something under his shirt moving a little bit. And, you know, I, and, and in my mind, the fact that he showed up, she it's like, he just appeared there in my mind. He was up there in the ceiling somewhere the whole time. He just kind of dropped down real quietly. Uh, like a spider does. So that was the hardest thing, the balance of hinting at it without spoiling it.
4: Well, the thing that I love about uh, Stephen King's work and other horror writers work, and I think you, you captured this really well in the story is letting us, realize things at the same time that that the character we're following or like or is realizing it like Mm -hmm. as maria like i think you doled out that information really well because maria is figuring it out at the same time we're figuring it out Mm -hmm. and we're on the same page and then you know so that reveal is also is a reveal for us but also it's a reveal for maria and that that connection i feel like is just really powerful in narrative so um yeah Yeah. you did that really well thank you
3: was definitely in the story.
4: Yeah. Well, um, Josh, is there anything else that you'd like to say about your story or, um, any, any other nuggets you want to give us?
1: Uh, well, one of the things that I, that, that was fun about this story was Maria, you know, as a character, it's, it's all, you know, you ask what's challenging, you know, it's, it's challenging to write a character that reacts to a scary situation with intelligence and still have it be scary for them. You know, she's definitely not superwoman. She, but she does think on her feet, you know, she, she trusts her instincts. Like when she initially, of course, she's distracted. There's so much going on, but when she walks out the door and realizes something's not right. And then, and you know, she listens to that voice that says, all right, you better be careful because this isn't, (laughs) and you know, everywhere, you know, at every point in the story, I tried to let, I tried to think, what would I do? if i was in this situation so having her think you know i can move a little bit so if i just wait until it wears off a little bit more maybe i can make it to the door maybe i can make it to the you know so it was it was fun to have a character that was smart but wasn't just like ellen ripley with the flamethrower kind of thing it was you know <laughs> fun to see her you know work her way out of that problem you know, in a believable way, I think.
3: And you kept her alive. And that's
1: what yeah, I really was happy her, about. Yes,
4: yes, absolutely. And I I really appreciate you saying that because I do feel like, at least uh, when I read stories about like women, like being badass, I, I feel like there's this tendency, oh, well, they're a badass. So they don't listen to their intuition or they don't listen to the emotional side of themselves. And so mm-hmm. I really liked that Maria, listening to that part of herself is actually what helps her in this mm-hmm. story and really gives her that those layers and complexity of the character. and makes her more relatable. So I, I appreciate that.
1: Thank you. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate y'all choosing the story. Hopefully maybe we can put another one up here sometime.
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we would love to have more of your stories here. We are a fan. Uh, so please keep sending them to us. And uh, thank you for being here yeah, thank you, uh, Joshua. Through, through tonight. And um, so I think that's gonna wrap us up for the interview portion. So thank you again. Uh, everybody, if you want to read more of Josh's stories, please find him uh, on medium.com under Joshua Adams. Uh, as I mentioned before, he's got some real gems on there, so enjoy. Thank you, Joshua.
1: Joshua, thank you. Yeah, bye, good night.
3: Good night. Good night
4: all right so episode three in the bag done done there we go in the
3: grave
4: in the grave (laughs) i like that Yeah. so if you haven't already please go to our youtube page and like and subscribe uh for season three we would like to get uh, up to 100 subscribers so please tell your friends and um subscribe if you haven't already um you can also find us, as always, we're on audio podcasts, and we are on Stitcher, I, iTunes, Apple Podcasts. We're on Amazon Music, and also, which one am I forgetting? Spotify.
3: We're on all of the ones that matter. <laughs> yes,
4: yeah. we're a big deal. You can also yes. find us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook. If you want to throw us some Twitter love, please use the hashtag podcasts. And Jeremy, you want to tell them about the merchandise?
3: Sure do, if you like gold and purple, you'll like our merchandise because we got a lot of it. It helps honestly to make, uh, oh, the producer said I must show the pillow. So I'm gonna show the pillow right now. So Jeremy's
4: holding up this wonderful pillow. It's got a black background and it's white and orange and purple NRSS all over it. It's the perfect, you know, we're coming into the holidays. So it's the perfect holiday gift for your story lover um, to keep them comfortable over the, the holidays. so And it
3: helps us make this podcast happen. So- Absolutely.
4: So all the proceeds from our our uh, merchandise will go to our overhead on the podcast. And then anything extra, we are donating to uh, literary programs in Los Angeles. So not only are you helping us out, but you're helping out um, people in the city.
3: Um, Megan has a great website. You should check out meganamorrison.com. If you want some more good writing, she'll have updates on her work as she has them.
4: And uh, Jeremy has a a newsletter where you get a micro story every single week. So you can sign up to that on jeremyraystories.com and uh, they are delightful. So it's so, it's so cool to get a little new story in my inbox every week. So I, I highly um, recommend that you take advantage of that. Cause where else do you get that? Nowhere, jeremyraystories.com.
3: And then we have our next episode, which I'm really excited about too. It's our very own Britton Valenti.
4: Yes, guys. DM
3: please,
4: please come back next week. We have a wonderful story called Food Baby from, uh, the one-of-a-kind Britton Valenti. You do not want to miss the story. We do not. It's going, she's she's going to perform it herself and it's going to be fantastic. So we will see you right here uh, next Monday night. Uh, Happy Halloween, everyone.
3: Happy Halloween.
4: No one reads short stories anymore
2: really don't know what they're written for Go write a short story and
4: throw it out the door Cause no one reads short stories funny, sad, or gory No one reads short stories anymore Yes, no one reads short stories